The following podcast is a Green Fresh Media production. Welcome to Is There Kale in My Teeth, the podcast. I'm your host, Rifki Rubinowitz, an interior design trained lifestyle and wellness expert, mom to three girls, and editor of Mishpacha's Family Room magazine. On each podcast episode, you will meet incredible women who have empowering, entertaining, and educational messages to share with me and with you. Stick around. It's wild and it's raw, just the way we like it. My name is Rifki Rabinowitz. I have a background in interior design. That's actually what my degree is in. Um, But currently, I am a lifestyle and wellness blogger as well as editor. Do you know Mishpacha magazine? Sounds really familiar. I mean, I for sure, I for sure like have come upon it, but. Okay, amazing. So Mishpacha magazine is um, a magazine catered to Orthodox Jews. Specifically, I work for the food and I am the editor of their interior design magazine, which is distributed worldwide. So it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to marry my love of interior design with literature and so that is kind of where Kayla and my teeth was born, which is an amalgamation of all of that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes. So I would love to, not yes, that's amazing. Yes, I'm done. <laughs> I love what I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so please introduce yourself to any of my followers who are hearing about you for the first time or listeners who are finding this episode later. Sure. So my name is Melissa Lovey. I am a jewelry designer, manufacturer, um, and I'm a mom and a wife, um, and I feel very lucky that I get to do what I love every day. Mm-hmm. So your brand is highly well-known. Um, when did you conceive Melissa Lovey, and how long did it take for you to kind of grow your following and, you know, create an element of notoriety in so many jewelry lovers' homes? Yeah, so I started my brand... I think it's going to be nine years in January. Um, Yeah. So I feel like that's a long time ago. It was my first baby. Um, And um, I listen, like, it's so funny because a lot of people see things on social media and you think things are like an overnight success. It, it took me time and it took a lot of struggle and sweat. And I don't know how many people know this, but especially in like the beginning days, like I was actually making the pieces. So it it was a lot. And um, the journey, like for me, especially like with respect to social media, kind of started out of necessity. I mean, nine years ago, Instagram was like a place where like you showed like your avocado toast, like businesses weren't on Instagram nine years ago. It was, it was kind of like the Wild West. I mean, I guess it still is today. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I didn't have any relationships with buyers or stores. I didn't know how to get my jewelry seen. And so I just started posting pictures from my dining room table onto Instagram. And like the earlier pictures are so cringe when I look at them. <laughs> um, but it's funny to see how I, I could have never in a million years guessed that from posting pictures like that, I would have become in contact with stores and start doing wholesale and then move back to D2C. Like it's just been such an evolution um, from the start. What would you say some consistent characteristics are for entrepreneurs and especially creative business women, because it's hard to kind of marry creativity and business savvy. 
What do you think some consistent characteristics are that you see across the board with businesses that have reached success? Um, so I think something that's really important is that you have to love what you're doing with anything. I think even like, for example, like even a doctor, you have to love what you're doing. You have to believe in what you're doing and believing in yourself is so important. Um, I still struggle with that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I think, I think it's something where if you know you're putting out the best version of yourself, you know you're putting the best product and you continue going, I think eventually it's going to catch on. Eventually it's going to catch up. I mean, there is a piece of everything for everybody. You know, there's, I'm a, an abundance believer. So I really, really think that there's enough for everybody. And I think as long as like you're putting in the work, you're putting in the due diligence, you're going to get there. I love that. It's such an important message. And I feel like recently, so many women that I'm speaking to, including myself, are actually really finding that groove where, you know, I said this on last week's Kale and My Teeth. If you are worried that the influencer industry is oversaturated, yeah, it is oversaturated. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a spot. You know, you could say that about any single industry. And if you really feel like you're specific to the table, and of course you're bringing something specific, we're all unique. Yeah, 100%. I, I mean, cut you off sorry but the jewelry industry every on instagram everyone is trying to do something and you know what that's a great thing i think it's amazing to have everybody you know dip their toe in try something and i think as long as you're coming at it with your own spin your own edge doing it in a way i think there's room for everybody i really do yeah and i mean for anybody who's listening or who has um you know followed me from like years ago um i think that it's also okay to kind of accept that it might take you a bit of time to really find that specific groove you know i know with myself I started my Instagram as a strictly food account because I wanted to get a publisher's eyes on my page because I wanted to put out a cookbook. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. That's very smart. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, organically, there were so many micro goals that I either reached or didn't know I wanted to reach that cropped up along the way that gave me feelings of fulfillment that I pivoted without even meaning to because I kept leaning more and more and more into what felt right for me, which is essentially a brand that's really hard to capsulize in a quick elevator pitch. I'm still trying. So I definitely relate to that. I want to talk a little bit about influencer partnerships. Um, you know, I've spoken to brands or brands have reached out to me where, you know, sometimes we'll get into a long conversation in that initial pitch or briefing and they decide that they're going to air their grievances over previous influencer partnerships that have not gone the way that they had hoped. Um, you know, sometimes they'll say, if you're charging ABC, I don't necessarily feel like I'm getting that kind of return on my investment. So obviously to go without saying, I'm the biggest advocate for what influencers are doing. But from the business perspective, I'm curious if you can speak to any of that what are the pros? What are the cons? What are some positive experiences? And what kind of experiences working with influencers have you learned from? Okay, so I feel like it's such a loaded question. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like tiptoeing around. I want to like, I want to be honest. And also like, I definitely like I've built my brand around influencers. I mean, I've even turned myself into somewhat of an influencer. Right. So I'm like eternally grateful for the influencers and for, you know, just for helping build my brand. And I think though that what you're speaking about in certain businesses experiences is I've heard that a lot. I work, I mean, I, I help, but sometimes I mentor people that are starting businesses or small businesses and kind of help them navigate the influencer journey. 
And it's tough because how do you tell someone to spend X amount of money? Um, you don't have a guarantee on your return, especially smaller businesses that they don't necessarily have capital for marketing. Um, and so it's the kind of thing that unfortunately works trial by error. You are never going to know one's going to convert for you. I mean, to take a step back from this, like I believe there's two kinds of influencers. There's someone that um, is a great converter and there's someone that's great for content. Um, so someone, an influencer that has great photos, the brand can use the photos. And then there are influencers that provide a main version. They're selling your pieces, whatever part of your brand resonates with their audience. Um, it works. So I've been lucky that I've been able to find the magic with a select few influencers. Now that's not to say influencers that don't work for me might work for another brand. I think that's part of the art of finessing with a business is trying out different people. Um, trying out working with different influencers, try out different niches. Like you never know what is going to be the right fit. The one thing that I think that I have done right, and I, I continue this till this day, is that I will not give a contract to an influencer, meaning I won't pay them unless they accept a gifting or unless they own the jewelry prior. Because if they own the jewelry prior, they've tried it out, it's going to be authentic to them, to their audience, to really make sure that it's something that they love and that they're wearing. Whereas even if they agree to get gifted for a lot of times like bigger accounts who may not have heard of your brand, but you find a way to connect with them. If you're able to gift them and they accept the gifting, there's an interest there. They want to wear the piece. They want to try it on. I don't think it makes sense to pay someone. And a lot of these influencers are making a lot of money. And I'm talking about people that have millions and millions of followers, but if they're not willing to try your product, where's the loyalty that, you know, it's got to work both ways. I mean, I was talking about this um, with someone that I run my business with today. I was saying, I always feel like this small business and I'm putting myself in that category always gets lost. Like we don't have a voice, you know, it's, I don't want to say I'm sick of it, but I want to be an advocate for it. You know, like smaller businesses, they deserve to be heard. We don't have the capital for mass marketing, um, especially like there's a new app. There's a new way of marketing every single day. Um, and so I really feel like there's got to be some give and take with an influencer. They have to be willing to be like, okay, I'm a fan of the brand. Let's try to connect that way. Or sure, let me try the piece. Let me see how my audience responds to it. I'm not saying put out a code or try to like convert it for me, but I just want to see, is this something this person likes? Do they understand the brand? And I think once you find kind of the right fit, and it's funny because I found the right fit within different kind of, I don't want to call them niches, but I, I, I think it's funny, like, especially my brand, we have like two vastly different audiences that love the same product. Funny because the influencers that we have found to represent them are so different, but their audience gravitate towards the same thing. So it's just, yeah, I, that was like my long winded answer. Um, no, that was that was so insightful and, and super helpful. I guess my follow up question is, I mean, anybody who's dipped a, like a fingernail in the industry um, speaks to the power of the micro influencer. So um, and to anybody who's listening, just to dial that back, what that means is sometimes um, influencers or micro influencers with smaller accounts, um, their conversion rates are higher because everything feels so authentic because you really feel like you're chatting with a girlfriend or a guy friend or somebody that really feels like they have your best interest at heart. My question is, is your goal to get on the radar of influencers with millions of followers or as a small business, do you find that, you know, connecting with the influencers that are of the same, um, I guess, demographic or desired engagement 
yields a better result for you. Yeah. So I'm just going to touch back for a second on the first thing you said, because it's so insightful and people should understand this. I've worked with influencers that have 5,000 followers who can't even do a swipe up. And I've worked with influencers and I'm not going to name names. So no one asked. Um, I've worked with influencers that have millions of followers who are extremely popular. The conversion we would get with smaller influencers, it's exactly what you said that you feel like you're talking to a girlfriend or you feel like you can trust them even more. And it's not just about a paid opportunity. It's just night and day. I can't even tell you like I've worked so hard to create this brand and to create the capital that goes back into the business. Like today, I've never taken an investment. Um, I don't have a co-founder, nothing like that. And so to invest, let's say it's $10,000 in an influencer to do a series of stories to promote a sale. If they have millions of followers to not even make an ROI on what you're putting out there, it's, you feel like someone's punching you in the stomach. You know, it's so, so gut wrenching. Like I see it in my eyes. I'm like, that's like three different things that we could have created for the next collection. It's, yeah, it's a lot. It's you know, though, it's funny. There's a catch 22 um, as an influencer on the other side, although it's nice that you can kind of speak as the businesswoman and as the um, content creator. But when you are an influencer who has trained your community to expect things like constant swipe ups and constant codes and brand callouts, then your community knows to go to you when they're looking to shop. The downside and disadvantage of that is that sometimes they will say, why can't you do less um, advertising? Why can't you show us more? So that's like the upside is that you're making more money, your conversion rates are super high, your um, brand partnerships are successful. The disadvantage is that sometimes your community is like, we just want organic content, but they're training their community to go to them to shop versus an influencer. Um, I'm looking for an example, but it's really me, let's say, who really, really takes on a super, super select amount of partnerships. The advantage of that is that most of the time I'm really just creating content that I'm just so on fire and passionate about. Um, my community knows like I'm like foaming at the mouth with the things I'm excited about. The disadvantage is if you're going to shop, you're not coming to my page. So the upside of that is that when I'm talking about something, you know that I'm really into it. The disadvantage is you're not necessarily shopping on at risk viewer videos. As a business, what kind of energy or what kind of overall influencer experience do you find is more captivating and more successful for brands? Okay, so I can only comment on that based on, I think, my experience with working with influencers. I think that when an influencer cultivates an audience where they feel like they can trust the person, even if you're not posting links or swipe ups or sorry, tapping. That's I, oh. I don't no, I don't like it. Don't um, in. <laughs> um <laughs> they changed my account like one of the first ones and I was freaking out. I was like, wait, where are the swipe ups? This is so upsetting. Yeah, I don't mind a sticker. Just let me change the font, buddy. I, I know. You gotta oh it's I can teach you offline, but you can put like a sticker on top of the sticker and it still taps through. Oh smart. That's a really good uh, idea. Yeah, um, I don't visually it bothers me as like someone who's a little artistic like yeah, I just, totally I, I would never use that font and plus with the rainbow gradient sayonara. That's I a know. really good tip. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. So I post taps and swipe ups for my own jewelry. But I think a lot of times like for instance, if I'm getting questions about I don't know, like a lip color or skin stuff or stuff for my kids, I'm more likely to respond to people in my DMS and just send them a link like that. 
Um, so that this way, when I am posting something, or if I do believe in a company and I'm working together with them for something, it comes off as very genuine because it is genuine. It's only going to be a product that I love. And I think the consumer is really smart. They know what's fake and when someone's being paid for something that they don't believe in. The consumer has become so savvy, they can read through anything. And so unless you're putting out a product that's amazing and unless you're an influencer that really wears products, and that's kind of how I've narrowed down the people that we work with um, because it has to be really genuine. They're, everyone's going to see right through it. I feel like we're talking about them as they're down there. Sorry, I'm like getting distracted. No, but you know what, though? You know, as you say, consumers are very smart. I say something similar, but almost somewhat different. I always like talk about this on my podcast tapings, which is just because I started an account and therefore have a platform does not make me smarter than you. Meaning as we are all consumers. So if it's something that we see, you see, we don't consider it as if we are on a different wavelength of like um, a Kashik record understanding. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like meaning, of course they're smart because you're smart and I'm smart. So there has to be a mutual respect or else there's absolutely no success. I'd like to pivot a little bit and discuss um, brand identity. So you have a very strong brand identity. My first part of that question is, how would you describe your brand identity? And the second part of the question is, how does one develop a strong brand identity? Okay, so great questions. I think um, specifically to my brand, we call our target audience, our market, the lovey lady. Um, and she is someone who has her fine jewelry, her jewelry that's going to cost her thousands of dollars, but for her every day wants to wear something a little bit more wearable and accessible, likes the trends, wants to change with the time without a huge price tag. We view ourselves as like affordable luxury. So you're in kind of that, um, I would say like probably 100 to $300 at the max price range. Mm -hmm. And it's actually very funny if you look at our stats, half of the buyers from our brand are men. So it's husbands, wives, gifts. So they know they're getting great quality. They know they're getting a piece, the look of real. All of our jewelry is made like fine jewelry, um, but they're able to, it's affordable. So th that's kind of how we've built this. I, I've tried also trendier collections that didn't necessarily work because they don't resonate with the audience. A lot of times something, if I want to do like, I'm like very into 70s um, looks, I want to do like a big ring, it's not going to translate to the audience. I know it's not going to sell. So even now, like the stuff that we have out now is more of like the look of fine, um, almost like a, a passe term for it is travel jewelry but kind of every day. Um, yeah. And even like the trajectory that we're going in, um, especially for holiday season is all kind of fine inspired. Um, and everything that like we've kind of done on this avenue, we've seen like a great return on. So I think like over the years, it's about kind of figuring out who your lady is, um, what she loves, like how she's wearing your pieces. It's very easy to want to go to a certain audience, but like when an audience is calling you, shut the door, like open it, let them in like appeal to them it's, so something you gotta learn how to do totally and it's it's so funny you say that because i find this is such a struggle that i have all the time even like on a small scale like my merch like the stuff 
I mean, I kind of could have fun with it and put out what I want, but I would say that my taste probably leans somewhat unconventional. And the biggest learning curve that I had as a businesswoman and as somebody, this was the first experience I had not working for myself was when I took up the editor position in the magazine called Family Room, I was like, we are bringing AD to Orthodox Jewish people. We are bringing El Decor to the masses. Um, Person upon request, everything, you know? I had my visions. I was bringing like in inspiration from designers from like Scotland and Berlin. I'm so, I'm, I'm so passionate about interior design. Super excited to educate people who maybe don't necessarily spend as much time researching it as I do. Like anybody who's, who's listened to me talk about this, you know where this went. But my first issue did not do well because um, everybody was like, where did this come from? This is not what we want. This is not the energy of the magazine. And I was like, okay, cool. So this is where letters to the editor go. Like, okay, okay. And we recalibrated. It wasn't hard to do at all because it was a really big lesson to me, which is it's not about the product I want. It's about injecting my taste and my flavor into a product that you want to see. And so you're getting some of me, but mostly you're getting all of you. And so when you kind of like eliminate that lens, it's very almost easy to like lean into your creativity because you know exactly who you're creating for. Right. Yeah. But I think you said something that's so important that a lot of people don't know how to do. And I think that's going to take you far in business is you're able to pivot when something's not working. It's so easy to give up. You know, it's things are hard. Life is hard. You feel like you've put your all into something and you're not getting what you want out of it, or you're not getting the reaction. It's the art of being able to pivot and kind of see what the audience wants is which is what's going to take you to the next step, I think. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I think like one of the biggest like mantras that I lead my work decisions and a lot of my decisions um, are is like, if there's a will, there's a way. And so if you have the will, of course, you want the magazine to succeed. Or of course, I really, really want to, you know, get this kind of partnership. Well, what else can I do without giving up that will help me get, you know, eyes on my brand? So what are some examples of areas that you've had to pivot that have led to positive results in your business? That's a great question. <laughs> um, okay, this is a great example. Um, and again, it's like a constant evolution that I'm trying to figure out, navigate. But so I had mentioned earlier that when I first I had to kind of lean on Instagram social media because I couldn't get my jewelry into any store. Um, I then kind of two years in, I don't know, do you know Henry Bendel? It's a huge department or was a huge department store. In New York. First red lipstick. Oh, okay, good. I love that. <laughs> um, so they used to hold an open casting call for designers. Um, and so I remember so clearly, I think it was my second year, um, they ha I found out from an editor or some, I don't know how I found out they were holding an open casting call. So my sister came with me and we got to Bendel's at three in the morning and we were the second people online and they opened up the doors at 10 a.m. So like it was crazy. It was in the winter also. Everyone was coming huddled up. By the time they opened, there was like a line four city blocks down of people just showing their stuff. Um, and I remember going in and they took in the line within five minutes and I was just in utter shock. I was like, wow, okay, okay, you want this? Sure, that's like, that's amazing. And so getting into department stores really kind of helped build my brand. Like it kind of helped put a face to me because I used to also like, I'd work the booths. I'd be able to go back and forth between the different department stores. So when I decided to pull out and go direct to consumer, 
that's the kind of pivot that I'm talking about. It was a risk. It was a really big risk. And I, I wish I could say like, I thought about it. And I had this come to Jesus moment that I was like, Oh, okay, this is going to be great. Um, and I'm going to make a lot more money. It, it wasn't that this was like pre Glossier pre Kylie Cosmetics, like D to C wasn't a sexy thing. Um, that's direct to consumer forever um, needs that. But when I did it, I, within three months of pulling out of wholesale, again, like they were taking 70% cut. So I was barely breaking even on it. And I, I, for me at that point, I was just growing my brand. It wasn't really about making the money. It was, it was more of like, oh, wow, this is so cool. All these people are wearing my pieces. But within three months of pulling out, I, I saw right away that just like the waves of people um, that and combined with starting to work with influencers, um, just coming to my website. And it, it really everything for me it really did that's amazing i think something that like i'm pulling out from everything that you're saying in this story and this is not a new concept that i'm talking about but it deserves to be like um spoken about as often as possible which is and i was literally just talking about this with my best friend um right before we started the live which is the hustle is so glamorized and it is so not fun um you know we we were literally just talking about this um she just went back to school. She has four kids. And when she tells people that, everyone's like, oh my God. And, you know, it's really not fun. The process is not fun. Or, you know, I'll do like a big brand reveal. It's so fun. It's so glamorous. Oh my gosh, Rifki, it's so awesome. You learned how to lean into your creative strength. Granted, all of it is. But, it's the 3 a.m. lining up outside Bendel's. And by the way, many of those, and like metaphorically, 3 a.m. lining up outside Bendel's do not yield, I guess, we'll take your line in. And it's the knowing that unequivocally, I will keep trying because I believe in myself, unequivocally, obviously within reason, um, and pivoting as needed, that really is, in my opinion, the hallmark of success. Um, so I feel like, especially with an industry, you know, like yours and like mine, which have so much glamour and glitz, um, there is a lot of grit. There is a lot of grit. And just like any other job, just like being a mom, there's so much grit. And so I feel like anytime we can take an opportunity to remind ourselves and anybody um, who might need that reminder, um, all of it is normal and it's also hard. Yeah, I gotta say also, like on that note, I think about like glamorizing social media and everything in general, like, yes, I'm not talking about influencers now, I'm just talking about me specifically. I am such an introvert. It's so out of my nature to be posting like videos of my, it's so uncomfortable that people don't even realize that. And they, it's so shocking to hear that. Even I told you today, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> They're like, no, don't worry, it's gonna be great. Um, but even that, I just, that to me, even in itself has just come like to come out of my own skin and just like put myself out there is, is difficult for me too. So there's lots of different ways of struggling. And let me just tell you for that yes of Bendel's, I had a hundred doors shoved shut in my face. I used to walk up and down like Madison Park, Lexington Avenue, pregnant, trying to like get my stuff into stores and no one would take it so like yeah. it, it is a hustle it's all a hustle yeah and i think that even when you see somebody that's actually actual that seems to be actualizing their potential or their dreams or their self-worth 
um, I, I, I hate buzzwords, but the imposter syndrome element crops up all the time. I was just talking about this with somebody. Like when you're feeling aligned and when you're feeling in your groove, it's like, of course I should be doing X, Y, Z. I'm made for it. And when you're not feeling aligned and in your groove, you're like, why am I doing X, Y, Z? This makes absolutely no sense. I wish I could just do ABC instead. And so that, like those microcosmic thoughts go on in your brain all the time. Sometimes you're not even aware of it, but it, it exists no matter how actualized it appears that um, you are. Yeah, even to this day, it's so funny you say that because we're running our, like we started our Black Friday sale early. So we started it today, getting very pumped. You know, we have the whole supply chain shortage issues that I don't want to bore anybody with. Um, but <laughs> so we started early like sitting there by the computer in anticipation it's almost like imposter syndrome i'm like is anyone going to show up and then you start seeing everybody coming on and buying stuff it's like to this day i, I get nervous that no one's gonna want anything and so I mean, that's how i felt today i was getting a whatsapp from a friend and um she's like look i just bought this or whatever and i'm like she's like why don't you know you don't get alerts i'm like i can look i'll look tomorrow like i'll see you later like i just don't better not to look yeah um in any case before we pivot into a little bit of, you know, motherhood and family life, what in your opinion makes a social media account engaging? What makes you stop your scrolling and kind of say like, you know, I'll tap a follow or I'm enjoying her account? Yeah, um, I think it's a good question. I think <laughs> to be completely honest, like I'm always figuring that out. It's just a constant evolution. I think people want to see real. They want to see, we posted a a few weeks ago saying do you want to see brands led by founder so there's a founder face kind of like how I've taken on marketing um, you see a lot of brands that way I mean even like any of the Kardashians or any kind of um, reality person that launches their own brand they're usually the face of their brand versus there are other brands where like there's no face like Lululemon or The Gap and almost I, I would say like almost 100% of everybody's like we want to see the founder we want to see the story um, and so I, I think people really want to see like how pieces are made, what's production like. They want to see your struggles. They don't want to just see the glamorization of everything. I think when you can kind of touch on things that are a little bit more personal, depending on like your own comfort, I think people like to see that it's kind of a window into your life and they make it makes them feel like they're not only supporting your life when they invest in you, but also like they believe in you. They're rooting for you. It's nice. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think also, the answer is so subjective. What do you find engaging? It's such a subjective um, question and answer, but the way to kind of make it a little bit more universal, I guess, is, you know, speaking to people who might have an account, as long as you really appear to be loving what you're doing and that like passion comes through in regardless of the content you're creating, your people, your tribe, your community will find you. You know, ultimately I get asked, um, daily, weekly to do more fashion. And I feel like there are so many incredible fashion bloggers out there who are dedicated completely and totally to bringing fashion to the forefront of people's Instagram page. And while fashion is a massive passion of mine, there are so many other things that I am passionate and intrigued, like that I find intriguing that I almost don't want to clutter that space. And I want to say, well, this is the risky space. We're going to do this too. And You'll see snippets of fashion, but if you follow me long enough, you'll know we're going to also be covering A, B, and C. And so I think, um, I hope people are enjoying it because I'm loving that you can kind of figure out what works for you. And if you're engaged as the creator, 
I think you can somewhat assume that the community is engaged around you. Yeah, I definitely think that. I, but I also think, look, to your point, I don't think anybody needs to feel kind of pulled into one area. Um, let's talk a little bit about what kind of steps you did on the back end of your business to really scale it. I know you mentioned that getting into the department store was really helpful, and then you switched to direct-to-consumer. Um, once you switch, switched over direct-to-consumer, um, what kind of hurdles did you face and what did you do to overcome them? And how do you continue scaling to the degree that you are as I speak to you today? Yeah, so I think once um, I went direct to consumer and everything was through our website, it kind of forced me to kind of flash the product line. Like I wasn't able to offer as much diversity in terms of product as I wanted um, because I really wanted to invest in volume um, to drive costs down and really give the customer a great product um, at a good price. Um, and so something that we did, um, which I don't know like how detailed you want me to get into this, but a lot of the jewelry that we make is done on 3D computer programming. So everything's designed on the computer, it then gets printed and molded all in the diamond district. And so um, when we wanted to scale up and do um, larger scale of production, more expensive, we started doing printing for production. And that kind of helped us time-wise turning around, shortening our timeline, even though that's stuff we still struggle with. Like even some of our best sellers now, um, it's gonna take people two to three weeks to get them because um, we do run on a made-to-order model. So mm -hmm. it, it's something that we're still figuring out. Like we can order a product and we can get 500 of them. And then within the next like three weeks, you're out of them. And so it's a constant struggle of reordering, trying to figure out the trends of the market um, and just seeing really where, I don't know, where like anything goes. Okay, that's a really good answer. So speaking of trends, let's talk a little bit about jewelry trends um, on a macro level and then jewelry trends on a specific to Melissa Levy um, degree. I'd love to hear your take on all of it. Yeah, so... Um... Do you mean like trending right now? Is that what we're? Oh, are we talking trend forecast? You mean? Sure. Yeah. Or like. Well, what... I could go either way. In fact, let's go both. Okay. Sure. So I think a lot right now of what you're seeing is enamel, especially like it was huge over the summer. Um, it's gonna be around for a long time. Um, enamel works really well when you can find it inexpensively. I think it's very difficult to do enamel nicely and done well um within the u.s and also offer it at a good price point i don't necessarily think that i mean listen it's something that we tried it definitely had an audience but it's not for our girl necessarily like again like we we did a lot better um when we introduced more fine looking items so for instance pearls are huge now um we launched i want to say I think it's eight SKUs of pearl earrings over the last couple of weeks. And even now, like when we started Black Friday, we've never had a new product top like the Serena's. Um, and I wish I was wearing them now, even though these did really well also, but we, it's like a double pearl. It's called our carry stud beyond. So like, it, it's so interesting to see that a pearl, which is typically like, I guess a cla more classic style, we kind of edged it up. We gave it like a more modern baguette. That's our signature type of look. Um, and people are really, really loving it. So that's fun to see the pearls um, really taking off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So your brand speaks very much to like the classic kind of elegant, almost like evolved woman. Um, would you consider, you know, tapping into looks that are a little bit more, I would almost say like downtown, like a bunch of layered earrings and things like that? Or do you find that when you've tried that in the past, as you said before, it doesn't do as well? Um, so... That's something that 
and we kind of navigated season to season. So again, like because we're designing and making our own pieces, we kind of get to go into whatever category that we want to within the space. Um, a lot of times it's easier to kind of go with the pieces that you know are going to sell because at the bottom, the bottom line is you want to convert um, and you want to be able to create more pieces. But at the same vein, I'm not going to sit here and make a tube hoop where you can find a tube hoop on Amazon for $20 that's better quality than you're getting for 300 because the plating's not going to wear off. So it's, uh, you got to be careful when you're creating your own product and you're investing capital in there. You want to make sure that you're putting something different into the market. Now, I think the way people interpret the brand, um, whereas like you can find different earrings from us and kind of go and stack your ear and do um, pieces that are a little bit edgier. I think it's all the way and you style it also. But I do think that as my brand has gotten more successful and it's evolved, I've become more confident in knowing like, okay, these are the pieces that are going to do well. Just because someone's selling a certain like necklace, it doesn't mean we have to go into that category if I don't feel like we can move it. It's tempting. But. No, I, I totally get it. I mean, that touched on what you were saying that ultimately you are creating, you know, with your injection of taste and style and perspective on trends, but for the consumer. Um, what goes on in the Melissa brain of goal setting, um, uh, things that you've either wanted to conquer, conquer or, or are looking to kind of accomplish, um, which is a different question than saying, where do you see yourself? But it's like, what are the recurring thoughts you have that kind of keep you motivated or help you focus on a goal? Yeah, so I think for me, I've when I started this, it was out of like a reason I wanted I was kind of jealous of my friends in college that kind of had a family business to go into. I know that sounds so silly, but whether they had like a real estate company to go into or like even someone who like became a lawyer and their dad was a lawyer and they started working for that law firm. I wanted to create something that like my siblings and I can always be connected. And I didn't want to like ever lose that family connection. That, that was something that at that time I was a little afraid of. And so like, even for my daughters now, like, I wanted to create a brand that would be a family business. And so that's always been something that been in my mind. I've never spoken about it before um, just because it, it almost seems like silly, like a nine-year-old brand to be talking about to becoming a legacy brand. And especially because I have so much to accomplish, but it's definitely something that's in my mind. Like I want to be able to hand off something like to my family or work with my family um, in some capacity. I mean, none of them want to work with me, Rifki, but <laughs> very relatable. I think that I think that as mothers, ultimately it comes back to whether we are aware of it or not, but wanting to set a good example and wanting our children as we are proud of them, wanting them to be proud of us. And I always say this about Instagram and it's, you know, part ideal, idealist, part naive, but also part really just positive. Everybody loves to focus on the danger of social media. Um, I actually have someone coming on in a couple weeks um, who will be teaching us how to um, create safety filters and things like that on our phones and our iPads, just because the internet is such a gross place. And I know so very little about it. So that's not to say that I'm completely blind, but I like to focus on the fact that all you have to do is have a desire to create and the ability to work hard. And you have a free um, opportunity for a platform to launch a business. And to me, I think that we're in this incredible era where women like you and I have really built careers out of just utilizing social media. So whether my children go into social media or not, completely 
not where my head goes, but my head goes that they should listen to that inner voice and say, uh, you know, look, my mom made a career out of social media. It can't be that bad. What can we do that like helps us play into our creativity as adults and helps us feel playful and helps us remember what we were like when we were little as their adults? I think it's so empowering to see so many, it's not only women, it's men also. Like it's just, we live in a time where everyone has the ability to become their own boss to become their own to create their own business it's such i mean i love the aspect of creation and to building something from your own because you never the sky really is the limit like and i keep saying like it's gonna take a ton of hard work but to be able to like see that you're touching your kid's life in a way where they're like oh wow like my mom makes that or uh, my dad does this. It's just, it's just a really, really cool way of showing them that you really can do anything. I think part of it is also like you have to, at least I joke about this with myself that when I started this, um, and this isn't a nice thing to say about myself, but like, I was lucky that I was dumb enough to start it when I did, because if I actually knew all the work that went into it, I don't think I would have been able to be like, okay, let's go, let's go do this. But I was lucky that I was just able to be like, okay, sure, jewelry, yeah, why not? Let's start a business. And that's not to say, I mean, I went to school for it. I did the training for it. I worked at other companies, but it's just like the things that come along with it, it's, it's a lot. My husband always says that about the house that we just moved into that took a very long time to complete. He, he's like, had I known what like what would go on and how this would take over our lives um you know I, and I always say that about when you're going to a new gym I always find like my performance when I'm trying a new workout or a new gym is so peak and like PR level because I have no expectation like oh shoot they're about to ask me to sprint they're about to ask me to sprint and then the apprehension comes first being like oh, you know guns blazing we're gonna work out but the second workout, you're like, I'm cranky, I'm kind of sore, I'm worried, I have performance anxiety. So I definitely relate to what you're saying. As mothers, um, kind of segueing into that, this is a tough question that I myself don't really have a very um, conclusive response to, but let's talk about work-life balance and yeah. It's funny that you bring this up because I, especially as of late, like I have a daughter who's now in first grade and like she needs me than ever you know and so especially now when she gets home it's like she, let's say she gets home around 4 30 like I, I want to be there you know it, it's I'm itching to be there and some days I can and some days I can't and I find more and more like it's tugging like on my heartstrings like I want to I mean like I, like I lost my mom at a young age not as young as um, my kids are but uh, like I would give anything to have that time back with her you know it's just and so I I just I don't know. It's something that I really, really struggle with. It's hard. I, I would like to find someone that has said that they found like amazing balance with this and feels great about their decision. I, I go through phases. There are some phases when my brain is less foggy. I'm in a very foggy brain stage like right now. But one of the things that really helps is just not trying to multitask. We think we can multitask and as women and moms and wives, we need to multitask because there aren't enough hours in the day, um, but we're not doing any of the jobs efficiently. And when I accept that, and when I close my laptop or don't refresh my email or don't, you know, keep like marking DMs unread, unread, you know, but if I, if I just mentally even eliminated that kind of one foot in the door, one out, I could just, you know, successfully do bedtime. And then 
you know, maybe work for an hour after, but I'm always kind of like, you know, maybe looking over my shoulder right now in this foggy brain space. When I do try to kind of eliminate that multitasking and give 100% of focus to whatever is important at that time, that is like the one thing that sometimes helps me feel better. And of course, as moms, we know as soon as the kids are sleeping, we're like, oh, I should have spent longer on bedtime, you know, all of that. And my daughter, who is in grade four, so, you know, that nine, ten-year-old age, is at that point where she wants to hang out at night, and she wants to read together in bed, and I'm, my night has to commence. My night can only commence once the kids are sleeping, so there's this kind of, there's this guilt that we'll probably never stop feeling, and as much as we know we are trying our best, as mothers, for sure, there's that struggle where we feel like, could we be trying our best, or, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So um, I definitely hear where you're coming from. The one thing that sometimes saves me is just not trying to multitask and just really being focused and being present at what is important at the time. Yeah, it's not like a strong suit right now. Yeah, I mean, even tonight, even we had like um, I, I I don't want to call it an emergency because it's jewelry. It seems kind of frivolous to say that, but we had a jewelry emergency, and I'm doing homework, but I'm also like voice noting and texting like furiously at the same time, and just. Mm -hmm. It was something that obviously was very important and upsetting. And my daughter is just like sitting there, just staring at me. And I'm like, yeah. oh, forget it. I shut it off. And I was like, let's just do this. Let's do the homework. It's hard. Really, it's really difficult. But yeah. I have to say, like, from my own experience, it's just, I mean, these are the days, like, where, like, you build these memories. And, it, like, they're, it's so important to be there. So I know I need to... It's this is me giving myself advice. Like I need to follow my gut and really, really be there for them um, and not really multitask while I'm doing it. I mean, if, if we can have accountability and remind each other of this at the beginning and the end of every day, I think we'll be very successful. I do all the things. I do all the things. And sometimes, you know, it, it gets the better of me. I, I know that makes me human, but it's one thing that we really want to excel in is our parenting. So it's kind of the thing that, that we'll, you know, we'll, we'll think about as we're falling asleep at night. But um, as we're nearing the end of this um, conversation, which by the way, cannot believe it's already been an hour. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, I would love to close out with a question like, where do you see your brand? You know, what are your goals for your brand? And I guess a message for yourself nine years ago. Um, so a message for myself nine years ago is don't be afraid. Um, I think it's the same message for myself today. Like you can do it, believe in yourself. Um, I think that's always the hardest to do. I, I always notice like, I think like as women, like we always pump up everyone around us. And like, if we actually turned around and took our own advice and could say like, you know what, look at you, you're doing amazing things. Just looking at ourselves for that, I think it would take us a long way. But in terms of the brand, I mean, I do see us um, opening up um, our own stores and not just in terms of purchasing jewelry, but them to be more experiential um, and really having that kind of lovey lady experience. So that's something that's going to be in the pipeline um and figuring out like how people can kind of try the pieces on but also kind of have fun be with their girlfriends you know and make that into a real moment so what would can be considered a real moment outside of just a retail experience so i think there's so many things that you can do with that and that's the best part of like being a brand founder it's like for instance if you were to go into um any like the glossy flagship um, which is in downtown New York. It's not just about trying makeup. It's not just about 
thing the makeup there are so many different pop-up sections in there that make you feel like you're part of the brand you're having this great moment so like whether it's doing this is um <laughs> this is my big thing i want to do kind of frosé off the wall where like you're able to do some sort of diy create your own jewelry and make a bachelorette moment out of it you know just like different little things you have more of like a photograph section where they're like there's different elements of being able to photograph in your pieces seeing what works for you seeing what doesn't and just creating memories really i think I love that. interactive yes definitely like you someone needs to feel like they have a part of the brand and really understand it i love that so please let us know for anybody who's watching tonight or for anybody who's listening um on the podcast forums at a later date where they can find you or any other, you know, exciting promos that are going on for your brand that we can follow up with after. Yeah. So all of our social media is Melissa Lovey. And, um, well, right now we are running our Black Friday promo, but I think I've exhausted that promo. So everyone knows about it by now, but yeah. That's amazing. You are so incredibly um, polished and brilliant at what you do without being, you know, pretentious or over the top about it. I feel like this was such an insightful and super pleasant conversation. So thanks for coming on Kale and My Tea. Uh, thanks for having me. You're amazing. You're so good at this. You make it so seamless. So thank oh, you. Thank you. I, I love doing it. So thanks for being on. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Good night. And that's all for today, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love if you subscribed. And if you're really next level vibing, leave me a positive review so we can keep the circle of positivity going. Of course, you can find our guest's information in the show notes and find more of me on my Instagram and website at Rifki Rabinowitz and RifkiRabinowitz.com. Have a good one, okay? Stay cool.